Welcome to As If Minute 96. This is the podcast about Clueless, where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I'm your host, Darren. With me today, I'm joined by host of Minute uh, 8 to 12 and 38 to 42, Joel Torres. Hello, Joel. Hello. And uh, our minute begins with the scrolling credits, still scrolling, black background with uh, on bright green, bright green writing. Um, and we're up to the Foley editors and the sound editors, the ADR mixers. Uh, we go through those to, and we finish just as the music credit for uh, Supermodel and the um, video credit for Buns of Steel 3 are scrolling onto the screen. <laughs> Um, oh man, whoever got the next credits got the good stuff. Uh, well, tomorrow's minute, which is the final minute, which will be minute 97, technically speaking is a minute and 11 seconds, but the final kind of like 10 seconds are just a Paramount logo mm. sitting sit there telling you that it was made by Paramount. But for, for the last 11 seconds, you should switch it over to a second-by-second second podcast just, just for that. <laughs> and just go on for another two weeks. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I... Uh, no, I think I'll be fine with finishing it tomorrow, Joel. All right. Um, <laughs> we've already been doing this thing since it was spring. Uh, let's not, let's not continue into fall. Um, or autumn, as we say over here. Now, there are a couple of people that I just wanted to touch upon, uh, in the, the kind of, the credits. Um, there's, uh, a guy whose name stood out to me, uh, David Joby? Job? I don't know how you pronounce that second name. Um, but he's one of the Foley mixers. Um, in fact, I think he, he's like the only Foley mixer because you have two Foley artists and three ADR mixers and a couple of sound editors. But he's the only Foley mixer. Mm. I don't know what a Foley mixer is, but he's the sole credited one. And he's got a long career um, starting, starting with being an ADR recorder in... Um, with the Abyss and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 The Secret of the Ooze and um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey were his, his first few credits um, and then he worked on uh, Army of Darkness Boxing Helena Lorenzo's Oil um, Bodies Rest and Motion these are all classic films we can both agree uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights Freaked Malice uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Judgment Night, of course, which is probably best known for its soundtrack rather than for the actual film. Uh, Bad Girls, um, and continue his streak of working on sequels, Sea Slickers, The Legend of Curly's Gold. Yes. Um, and uh, Karina Karina, and Don Juan DeMarco. And all of that is before we even get to House Guest, Tank Girl, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Apollo 13, he had a busy 1995, and of course Clueless, and um, also uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. 
Um, and later on in '95, uh, Showgirls, Powder, and Heat. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's quite a that's a varied career up to Clueless. And since then, he's worked on a lot of things after that as well. But I, you know, I think that's that's a good mix of films, isn't it? There was some prestige stuff in there for sure. But I mean, like uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, Freaked. Uh... <laughs> Uh, did, did, yeah. I, did he hang out with those two guys or something like that? Keanu Reeves and... Uh... Do you know what? Having looked at some of the um, the credits up to this point, there does seem to be a thing where if you work with someone and they like you, they will bring you back for other stuff. Like, there's been a lot of people who worked on one Amy Heckling project and then have ended up working on, like, Loser and Vamps and have kind of, like, kind of been brought back. I've been brought back to work on other projects with her. And the same was kind of... There was a hairstylist that I spoke about, um, I think, yesterday, who basically ended up becoming, like, Keanu Reeves' personal hairstylist. Like, she was the general hairstylist for Clueless, but she ended up becoming Keanu Reeves' personal hairstylist for, like, five or six films. And then she was Aston Kutcher's personal hairstylist for five or six films he did um i mean more recently where the wild things are and um frozen uh, hmm. so you know he's kind of got going to some like kids stuff um water for elephants <laughs> is an odd one oh boy. uh in time and uh in the last couple of years he seems to have moved more into some tv work because he's done stuff for the walking dead and for true blood and most recently for Daredevil, um, Series 1 from what I can tell, and uh, Aquarius, the David Duchovny, um, Charles Manson, NBC mm. drama. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and for fans of, of bad films, he's also done 12 Rounds 3, Lockdown, uh, and... Uh, the Last Witch Hunter. Last Witch Hunter. Yeah, that 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 that's a classic film. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the the Vin Diesel joke. Yeah, yeah. Michael Caine. Yeah. Vin Diesel. Elijah Wood. <laughs> yeah. Based on his D and D character that he's been playing for the last ten years or something, isn't it? Yeah, he needs to stop uh, doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what playing D and D or? No, no, no. Stop making movies based on D and D characters. He's come up with. The director of the last. Witch Hunter is uh, Breck Eisner, mm-hmm. and he is the son, if I'm not much mistaken, of Michael Eisner, the um, you know, like the high-powered executive, the Disney executive, who, yeah, I, who ran Disney, yeah. yeah. Um, and he previous to direct, here's a curious thing: he's only directed three films. Breck Eisner, he directed Sahara, the Matthew McConaughey classic, in 2005. He directed The Crazies, which was the remake of the um, George Romero film, which I really like. I really like that that film, the the 2010 Crazies. Right. And then The Last Witch Hunter in 2015. So it seems like once every five years, Breck Eisner's like, yeah, I'm Michael Eisner's son. Maybe I need to do something to earn something. So (laughs) I'll make a film. How long has it been? Five years? Yeah, I'll make another film. You know, that seems to be his... His weird kind of uh, work rate. Hanging out with somebody and they're just like, uh, yeah, and direct this film I'm doing. Oh, okay. Sure, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but The Crazies has got Rod, Rod Mitchell and Timothy Oliphant in. And, yeah. um, and Scream Queen Daniel Panabaker, mm. who's also got a sister, Kay Panabaker, who's also a, a, a Scream Queen. Um, 
and uh, Joe Anderson, who um, I think is British. He he kind of plays like a slightly unhinged psychopath in some films, but uh, he, you know he's a really good actor. Hmm. Um, he was in Across the Universe. He was in The Grey as well with uh, Liam Neeson. Um, yeah, I've seen Across the Universe. I don't. Uh... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the character he plays in Across the Universe. I don't think it's named after one of the songs. Oh, well, he's not the main guy. I'm probably not going to remember. <laughs> No, he's the he's the guy who ends up who does the, um, the happiness is a warm gun like military recruitment song. Oh, okay. He's like okay. the guy. He's like the guy who goes into the military, gets conscripted. Oh, okay. Uh, the the I want you, I want you so bad segment. I want you. She's so heavy. Yeah. That's a little bit about uh, the career of David Jobe. Probably the most anyone has ever spoken about this particular Foley mixer. Well, he's a big part of everybody's life, probably, so I think you guys should recognize. (laughs) The music was orchestrated and conducted by Reginald Powell, not a name I recognize. Music preparation, which is an odd credit, by Bob Bornstein. And then orchestra contractor, Carl Fortina, which, given his Italian-sounding name, that's the the title, orchestra contractor. He sounds like some kind of mob guy who just got, like... A place on the crew because he someone didn't want to piss him off. Yeah, you know he's like you, hanging around set, going, "Where's my money?" And they're like, "Okay, Carl, look, um, you're the you're the orchestra contractor, all right? Just don't hurt any of our violinists." Yeah, you didn't um, pay your orchestra. Uh, uh, you know uh, what's the word for protection union, money? You didn't you didn't pay your union fees, so uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about that. Um. And then we get the music scoring mixer, and it's worth noting that the orchestra was recording and mixed at Paramount Pictures Scoring Stage M. So I don't know what's particularly special about Stage M, but they give it credit. And then you have the music coordinator, uh, Billy Gottlieb. And I've already spoken about um, Karen Ratchman, who was the person who kind of got together the soundtrack. Um, but Billy Gottlieb, he's he's also a guy who's worked on some kind of interesting films. He was... He he worked with Karen Ratchman on Pulp Fiction because she was the music coordinator on that, and he's the assistant to her. Uh, Billy Gottlieb was, hmm. um, so I, I'm guessing that's kind of how he got the job on Clueless. Is that he was kind of he like he was known by Karen Ratchman um, because he also worked on the Basketball Diaries with her, um, and then his credits then are kind of a bit strange, but you get. Another nine and a half weeks he was a music consultant on. And I, I don't know what that would involve. <laughs> um, and I don't even remember what another and a half, nine and a half weeks was. Wait, nine, nine and a half weeks is that movie with the... Uh, what is the actress from L.A. Confidential? Um, Kim Basinger. Kim How can Basinger? you not remember Kim Basinger? It's because uh, I mean, it's... I just woke up. Uh, <laughs> it's the most important part Rourke. of nine and a half weeks. Yeah, Mickey Mickey Rock is also in another nine and a half weeks, but it apparently was released under a different title called Love in Paris. Oh, I'm wait, guessing wait. just because Mickey Rock was in it, they were like, call it another nine and a half weeks. Okay, so so um, they, they, they did the sequel, not the original. Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm saying, another nine and a half weeks. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's supposed which, to be... Which also has um, Dougray Scott and Stephen Burkhoff in. Uh, Stephen <laughs> Burkhoff, not known for being an erotic person. Uh, yeah it's weird that mickey rourke had this kind of career as someone who did these kind of like adult dramas like he did like wild orchid yep and nine and a half weeks i was just gonna say like wild orchid yeah 
Um, and I think Wild Orchid also had like a, um, a sequel which had nothing to do with like I'm sure there was like a Wild Orchid two that had nothing to do with with um, Mickey Rourke. Right. Zalman King, of course, known for just churning out sequels to stuff and just putting different titles on them. And then the, but yeah, the I, I, extremely erotic Iron Man two. Um. <laughs> yeah, I gotta be honest. This point in his career, I can't look Mickey Rourke's face directly. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know what's like the fact that he was so kind of like handsome in the eighties that he was deemed the, kind of the the person that you would put in erotic movies. And now I don't think you could get away with putting him in any movies because he's just uncomfortable to look at what's become of Mickey Rourke's face. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, Billy Gottlieb was the music supervisor or music consultant on on that, but he's a music supervisor for uh, Bring It On as well. So there's a lot of these, um, there's a lot of people who've worked on Clueless who've also worked on other kind of teen movies. And the soundtrack for Bring It On is uh, quite good, I would say. Uh, yeah, so, and then we get to the publicist and the stills. We get, of course, the exciting, um, <laughs> the first assistant auditor, the production auditor, payroll auditor, assistant auditors. There's a lot of auditing going on, basically. And then we get a list of the production assistants. And I don't know why, but the second second AD is all the way down in these credits, where usually these days the second second AD is uh, usually after the first AD. They're kind of listed earlier in the credits these days. Uh, so I don't know what Diana Williams did to have her name put so far down into the credits. <laughs> we get the art department coordinator and then we get the illustrator whose name stood out to me because his name is Petko Kadiev. And that is an unusual name. Um, oh, you don't know anyone else named Petko? I don't know. Oh, we got unfortunately. tons of Petkos around here. They're just, hey, Petko, uh, are you talking to me? No, no, I meant the other guy. <laughs> You, you yell Petco and you'll hit you'll hit one in Los Angeles, will you? That is correct. But yeah, so weirdly enough, um, Petco was born in 1925. He whoa. He worked at Disney in the early 60s, and he knew Walt Disney personally. So that, I mean, I, this that feels like an interesting story there. That you've got this guy who basically escaped from behind the Iron Curtain and ended up walk, working for Walt Disney personally. Um, as like a, a draftsman and illustrator, um, but he did. He, he's credited here as um, illustrator, so I'm not sure what his responsibilities would have been. Because most of the times he's like a storyboard artist or a, a production artist. Hmm. Um, he worked. He worked on the uh, the TV show Blue Thunder. I'm sure we all remember that one. Oh, absolutely. The, uh, yeah, the, the helicopter. helicopter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, based there was on the a time movie. in the early eighties. Yes. In fact, he, I think he might have actually worked on the movie, which oh, then became d written by Dan O'Bannon, directed by John Badham, which became the pilot for the TV series, essentially, after he, that. He was but probably yeah, was living time... with uh, Roy Scheider at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the weird thing is there was a time in the early 80s when if you had a souped-up enough vehicle, you could base an entire TV show off that vehicle. <laughs> so you had Blue Thunder, you had... What was the other one that had the helicopter? Airwolf? Airwolf, Was that yeah. it? Mm -hmm. I, feel, I, think I, have a, I think I had an Airwolf colouring book when I was younger. Oh, I want to um, see a drawing of Ornisport 9. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and you had Street Hawk, and of course everyone knows Knight Rider. 
but basically in the 80s, if you had a vehicle that had enough things that popped out and shot missiles from them, you could, you know, um, you could have a, an entire show just based around that thing. Um, but anyway, Petco, he um, retired in 2003 from the film industry. Um, he is a, uh, a painter, illustrator. He worked on some Irwin Allen projects. He worked on um, Invitation to Hell, which is a TV movie. I'm sure one of the other people that I spoke about this week uh, also worked on that. Um, he worked on The Running Man, uh, V.I. Wachowski, uh, Charles Play 3, which is an odd choice, Rookie of the Year for Disney, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the the <laughs> the Ellen um, rom-com, uh, Mr. Wrong, which oh, proposed yeah. the idea that that Ellen DeGeneres and Bill Pullman would make a suitable couple. And um, how right they were. Yes. Uh, in, interestingly enough, Mr. Wrong, uh, which w- was obviously the title of that film, came out in uh, Valentine's Day 1996. I'm sure everyone remembers going to see that with their loved one, uh, <laughs> to see the, the sexual chemistry between Ellen DeGeneres and Bill Pullman. Uh, it was directed by Nick Castle, um, who... Uh, also directed a film which I remember I loved when I was a kid called The Boy Who Could Fly. Uh, but he wrote Escape from New York and Hook. Um, and uh, I'm sure he did another. Uh, he wrote and directed The Boy Who Could Fly, which is a great. And he also directed The Last Starfighter, mm-hmm. uh, Major Major Pain. Um, he hasn't directed anything since kind of 2006. But uh, yeah, so uh, Pet- Petco... Kadyev finished his kind of career um, uh, as an illustrator on the film Out to Sea, which I don't recognise the title of, so I'm not sure what that is. Isn't that uh, is that the one with that's kind of trying to odd couple it? Isn't that with um, Jack uh, Jack Lemon and uh, Walter Matthau? Yes, it is. Yeah, and uh, Di- Diane Diane Cannon, who insists hmm. on spelling her name. D Y A N. Come on, Diane. Saw that in the theater. Program. <laughs> Elaine Strick, and uh, one of the rare times that Brent Spinal wasn't painted yellow for a film. No, I believe he was uh, in this movie also. <laughs> yeah, he insisted on it. <laughs> yes. Um, and of course, Rue McClanahan, the sexiest of the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Martha Coolidge. Um, who I know because she directed. Um, Valley Girl and Real Genius. Oh yeah. Um, and she she did um, she did a film called Rambling Rose with um, uh, Laura Dern in, and I think Laura Dern's mom. Mm. The name of the actress escapes me. <laughs> but, and then we get into the construction and the greens guys. We've got um, well, interestingly enough, uh, and I think Clueless is being very forward looking here. The construction people are listed as construction for person as opposed to construction foreman. So, um, despite the fact that every single one of them is a guy, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> they use for person instead of foreman. So, I think that's interesting. I find this. Uh, uh, I find the two names happen to be Charles G. Phillips and Charles G. Page to be a bit G. suspicious. Page. Yeah. yeah. They're both construction. You think there's one guy like putting a mustache on and saying, yeah, I'm Charles Phillips and, he was, and then taking it off and saying, I'm Charles Pate. What, claiming getting two paychecks? What's he doing? What's his scam? Well, What's I'm going thinking, on? I'm thinking it's actually Carl, uh, Carl Fortina, the uh, orchestra contractor being like, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, 
I'm just going <laughs> to take care of that too. So just just put names down there, Charles G. Something. <laughs> uh, and we got a lot of people taking the 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 the, the middle initial because we have the paint for person is Gary A. Clark, and the location manager is Jeffrey T. Spellman. And just in case you wanted to know who was doing the craft services, it was Cajun. Quotation marks. Um, but in quotation marks, yeah, which is an unusual. <laughs> so what did they, like, is this like a, a craft services that don't do any Cajun food, but they call themselves Cajun in, in inverted <laughs> commas to be funny? Like, what's the story of that? It's I don't know what's going on there. They, they go to um, McDonald's and they, they also bring one of those uh, salt shakers full of uh, <laughs> one of the spicy things that you get at Cajun restaurants. <laughs> yeah, it's Cajun. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> What are you going to do? You know, go somewhere else? It's craft service, for Christ's sakes. Um, and we have the transportation captain, which is Mike Fenster. Uh, and and a, a credit I would love to have at some point in my life, picture car coordinator, uh, Glenn Carter. And then, of course, the color timer, which is the guy who makes sure that the negative works properly, is Mike McKillen. McKillen? Is that M- how you would say that? Milliken. Milliken? Milliken. Yeah. And then the interestingly named Teresa Rapola Mohammed is the negative cutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she should really just cheer up. Stop being so negative. Come on, yeah, yeah. Teresa. Um, and then the titles were done by uh, Robert Dawson, I think is what it says. Um, as, I, as I look away from the screen for a moment. Um, so he's the guy responsible for the, the bright colours um on the end credits i would assume he did the uh i mean does does he only cover the credits or does he cover the opening stuff too do you know there aren't that many opening credits there's like literally it just says paramount pictures presents Mm -hmm. clueless and it's in the exact same font and coloring as the end credits so yeah yeah, the soundtrack is available on capital compact discs and cassettes oh cassette if ever if ever there was a thing that that was going to date your film saying that it's on cassette in the end credits (laughs) will make it more obvious than anything um and we start to get then the list of all the songs some of which are on the soundtrack some of which are not and I think the first one, the first ones that aren't, are "Fashion" and "Just a Girl." I know that the um, the Muffs cover of "Kids in America," which of course has been the opening and closing credits for every single episode of this podcast, um, was available on the soundtrack. Um, actually, I don't think I really talked that much about "Fashion" when I covered when it appeared in minute. Um, I think it's in minute one. It's like the end of minute one, beginning of minute two. Just as she's walking over to her closet, is when "Fashion" plays. Yeah. And I don't think we really spoke about that because I think we were more interested in the computer program that picked out her clothes <laughs> and her kind of like gigantic closet. So uh, I feel like this is a good time to talk about fashion. I don't know how you feel about kind of early 80s David Bowie. I mean, fashion is... <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, fashion, I mean, that's an iconic song. I, I mean, it's I would like I could... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say about it like I mean David Bowie's just become such even bigger since he passed away in a lot in the world I feel like than when he was alive and fashion's just a I don't know it's a 80s song that highlights that particular aspect and so like I will 
when when somebody's like messing around with the clothes and they're trying to figure out the wear, I'll just be like fashion. <laughs> you know, it just, it just pops out of the mouth. I know I can't help it. And I love how the song as well is like an instructional for how to be a runway model. Um, like the lyrics just tell you what you have to do: turn to the left, turn to mm-hmm. the right. There you go. That's it. You're a model. And we we also get credits here for Just a Girl, which was not on the soundtrack. Uh, I should just quickly note that um, David Bowie's music publication company is called Jones Music. So even, you know, even while he took the stage name David Bowie, he kept Jones Music as his publishing company. Mm-hmm. And um, we also get Shoop, um, which possibly one of my favorite songs on this soundtrack. I don't think, again, I don't think this is one that's on the soundtrack. I know that Fake Plastic Trees is, and the version on, on the in the film is the acoustic version. Yeah. Um, but Shoop, interestingly enough, we get told, contains a sample from I'm Blue by Ike Turner. Yeah. What's uh, that? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I think that's the, um, I think that's like the riff that plays where it goes, there's like a, um, if you know the song Shoop, mm-hmm. you know there's like in the background, there's a, there's a sound where someone seems to be going, ooh, mm. and I think that is where the sample is coming from. That's from the what's sweet, interesting, of sweet course, inspirations, I see. But what's, what's weird is that um, when Shoop plays, it is as Murray approaches. Right. And Cher, of course, says that she thinks that as, as Murray and Dion argue that they've seen that Ike and Tina Turner film one too many times. <laughs> so I don't know if it was a deliberate choice to have a song that samples an Ike Turner song like played as she's talking about Ike and Tina Turner, but if not, it's um, an, it's a pretty great coincidence either way. Yeah. Yeah. That they, that they managed to fit that in. Um, I particularly like the song shoot because it mentions Prince and it says that he's a sexy mother. There you go. Um, and then we get the final few songs credited here. We get my iron lung by Radiohead. So the two, two Radiohead songs basically about one year before Radiohead broke really big in America. Um, although you could probably argue that after OK Computer, they really went like huge, but you know, they kind of went a little bit big in kind of like 96 before that. Uh, we get shake some action performed by cracker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I talked the, about that during the, my movie minute. <laughs> yeah. If ever there were a, a kind of nineties, like name for like a band cracker would be it. Mm. And, uh, we get change by, um, the lightning seeds. Now I know during the minutes when change played, uh, which was one of the montages, I think. I think it's the montage just before um, Ty... I think it's just before Ty's makeover. Anyway, I know that the the host for those minutes was Dan Costa, and he was particularly confused as to exactly who the Lightning Seeds were. Mm-hmm. They get the name of their band is from a misheard Prince lyric. Mm. which is in the song Raspberry Beret. That's where my my two podcasts uh, are both misheard lyrics going on. Uh, <laughs> Please Don't Send Me Into Outer Space is obviously uh, from the movie um, uh, in, Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, the actual lyric is, yeah. Please Don't Shoot Me Into Outer Space. And then yeah. I, I have a podcast that I actually haven't released yet, but it, it's a, the name of the podcast is A Mirror in the graveyard and that's from a misheard lurk that uh my girlfriend thought said stand a mirror in the graveyard but it's 
the actual lyric is standing here in the graveyard and all of a sudden <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on what song that's from, but I, I've got a kind of a fixation with misheard lyric too. Uh, in Raspberry Beret, there's a part where it goes, uh, the rain sounds so cool when it hits the barn roof and the horses wonder who you are. Thunder drowns out what the lightning sees. Yeah. You feel like a movie star and Ian Brody misheard that as lightning scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, and there you go. That's the name of his band. It's very poetic. And then the final the final credits that we get, we get Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Robert Hazard. And I can't remember a point during this film where Girls Just Want to Have Fun popped up. It's not credited to anyone. I feel like it must have been like a little musical, you know, goof and that's it. You know, just the opening bit, which is, you know, as soon as you hear that opening bit, you know what's going on. <laughs> you know which song it is. So that's probably all they had to play. Odd though, it's, I don't know. Usually when you've got, when you've got a credit like that, I don't, I don't think it's, um, I guess a little bit of it must show up in the background and they, they, they give him credit. And then, like I said, you get my own lung and, um, Supermodel, which is the song that plays during the makeover. And our final kind of credit is Buns of Steel 3 yes. by Fit Video. Now we know. We get Actually, Buns of Steel 3 gets credited a second time later on in the credits, uh, which you'll have to hear about tomorrow. Absolutely. If somebody really wanted to make a deep cut, like, I'm going to study this movie and figure out everything about it, and they go out get that VHS copy of Buns of Steel 3, I mean, this is essential <laughs> viewing material for knowing Clueless. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, you only get a couple of seconds of it just as, like, Ty is resisting, because I believe the exact quote is, uh, my, my buns, buns don't, don't feel, feel like... No- nothing like steel? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, perfect Brittany Murphy. Yeah. So, and that is the end of Minute uh, 96. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about the film Clueless, Joel? No, not particularly. I mean, I, I love the movie Up and Down. I've seen it a whole bunch of times in my adult life. And um, I, I do want to say thanks a lot for having me on this, Darren. It was a lot of fun to no do problem. this movie. I'm really glad we did a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you're one of the few... In fact, I think out of the hosts, you might be the only one... Out of the hosts who did ten episodes as hosts. Because Shannon did seven episodes as a guest and then five as a host. But out of all the hosts who just did ten episodes straight up... Um, you're the only one who's also done a talking cast and the cast next door. Um, so I think you're the only one who's done the three-peat. Nice. In this particular case. <laughs> so you suffered through those two films um, to get to this film. Or suffered through, like, two minutes of a talking cat. Yes, yes, I don't I know did. if you've ever seen the rest of that film. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those two minutes will forever be completely out of context. <laughs> and then, yeah. I mean, actually, I don't think The Boy Next Door is that bad. I, I still quite enjoy that film. So, but thanks very much for being a host. Um, on your 10 episodes and for returning for this credits minute. I think, uh, you, like you say, you've got another podcast. Do you want to fill us on the details on that one? Sure. Uh, every Monday we release a new episode of Please Don't Send Me Into Outer Space. It's a podcast about science fiction and fantasy movies. We watch one every week. Um, sometimes it's uh, famous ones like We Just Covered the Abyss and 
Uh, we've done, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And, and uh, we also have a randomizer feature. And so we get stuff people usually haven't heard of, like Earth Alien, a.k.a. Endangered Species, and Quincy's Quest, which is a <laughs> really weird movie starring Tommy Steele that I have a special affection for. And uh, we just, you know, it's me and uh, Sarah and Aaron, my uh, co-hosts, we just talk about the movies, have a little bit of fun. Sometimes we get serious, sometimes we just go crazy. And that's every week. And oh. do you want to promote the other one? When are you thinking releasing that one? I, you know what? We've got <laughs> special circumstances behind that one. I'd, I'd keep an eye out for a horror movie podcast that may be coming soon okay. called a mirror in the graveyard more on that later <laughs> okay and um as this episode drops you can also hear me on this particular day um which is thursday the 25th of august uh what lovely weather we're having today um <laughs> you can also hear me on episode four of i've made a huge mistake which is my arrested development rewatch podcast um uh and you can find that at a huge mistake pod on Twitter, or you can find it on Facebook, um, or anywhere else. No, I think that's just it—just Facebook and Twitter. Keeping it simple. There's way too many places to put stuff. Yeah. Um, or you can find it on iTunes. And obviously, if you wish to listen to the back catalogue of this particular podcast, I don't know why you would have started with this episode, <laughs> but you can find us on iTunes um, and also on uh, various other podcast applications and of course on twitter at as in underscore podcast um so thanks very much joel for joining me today thank you for having me sir and we are howdy bye